We're in uh, Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to break this up into two sections, maybe three even. But we'll look at the first uh, six verses here this morning. Revelation chapter 12, um, easily one of the most controversial passages, not only in the book of the Revelation, but I would think in the New Testament. But I think it's key. I think you have to, I was going to use the word master. Now that I've thought better, I'm still going to use the word master. I think you have to master this. I think you have to gain comprehension of what this passage is telling us. Um, we're introduced to, starting in the last chapter, going into chapter 13, seven players, personages, characters in this little vignette that is the book of Revelation. And unless we know who the players are, I don't think we're going to understand the plot. So without any further ado, we'll pray and we'll jump in. How's that? Let's beseech God for his blessing. Holy Spirit of God, take your part as, please, take your part as leader, as teacher. Speak to the innermost parts of our understanding. And some of this is tough sledding, I'll admit that. So help us to put on our thinking caps and be studious. Isn't, doesn't your word say that we're to study, to show ourselves approved unto God? Well, we would be studious, and we would know what we're talking about. You've put these things here for a reason. Help us to determine the reason here this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I say seven personages. In Revelation 11, we were introduced to the two witnesses. We'll call them one. Here, we're going to be uh, introduced to a woman. That's chapter 12, verse 1. Um, a dragon, verse 3. Her child, verse 4, and that's number 4, by the way. And then um, Michael, that's 5, and that's verse 7. And then uh, in 13, we're going to be introduced to we would call, uh, let's call him the Antichrist and the False Prophet. Two beasts, Revelation chapter 13. Uh, people always, you know, talk about the beast. Revelation gives us two beasts, and we'll discuss them at a further date. That's going to be a long study. We'll go real. He's kind of an important character uh, in the book of the Revelation, so we'll, we'll talk about him at length. And uh, so here we go. Chapter 12, verse 1. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered to, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand 203 score days. Let's start with the end first. 1,203 score days. We're in the vernacular, three and a half years. So, as I said, 
you know, the Holy Spirit always gives us an indication that this is the midpoint in the tribulation in these, in these verses here, in these chapters here. He does it every chapter, uh, chapters 10 through 14. They're all mid-tribulation. So we, we went through the, um, the, the history of the church, starting off the book, right? We had a vision of Jesus Christ, chapter 1. Chapters 2 and 3 are the history of the church. Chapter 4, verse 1, the rapture of the church. Now we're in heaven in chapters 4 and 5 and the heavenly vision where we see the Lamb taking the scroll, the seventh-sealed scroll from him, from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He opened the scroll, breaking the seven seals, which are the seven seal judgments, which the seventh of those gave rise, rise to the seven trumpet judgments. Where are we in that sequence right now? Does anyone remember? Because it's kind of important that we do. Six have been opened. And the seventh trumpet judgment, uh, opened, uh, blown, tr- trumpets are blown, right? And the, and the seventh one gives rise to the seven bowls of judgment. And we're not there yet. A lot of stuff happens in the mid mid part of the tribulation. It kind of pivots. And I think the first half of the, of the tribulation, Israel is not being harassed by Satan, and that changes now. It changes with the death of the two witnesses. Uh, Satan goes back on his word. The, as Isaiah calls it, the um, covenant with death. You remember the first in seal that was opened, a rider on a white horse with a Stephanos crown went forth conquering and to conquer. His weapon of choice, a bow. Or is it a weapon at all? Is it a sign? The first time bow is mentioned in scriptures, the rainbow. It is, a, is it a symbol of a covenant? Well, I have discussed, I think it is. I think it's that, that covenant of death that God sneers at that Israel enters into with the Antichrist. And for the first half of the year, the first half of the week, the three and a half years, they're unharassed. At the midpoint, that changes. And we'll look at that here this morning. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. Who is the woman? The leading contenders, the church, Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, and the nation Israel. Well, Adam, who do you think it is? Well, I don't think it's the church. Let's scratch that one right away. Why? The church, the virgin bride of Jesus Christ, she's in trouble if it is the church because we're supposed to be a virgin bride. We're not supposed to be uh, giving birth out of wedlock. We're not supposed to be with child. And the the, these are all signs. They're all symbols. They're all, but that doesn't mean they don't mean anything. But the church does not give birth to Jesus Christ. Okay? I mean, that's just exactly entirely backwards. You say, well, Mary does. And so Mary becomes one of the leading contenders in Catholic thought and theology. This is Mary. Any of you ever wear, from, you from Catholic circles and from Catholic background, have you, any one of you ever wear a, a miraculous medal? Just me. You did? Okay. No, it's, it's okay. Again, you're in the no judgment zone here. I did. You did. That's good. And it's a picture of Mary, and she's clothed in the 
She's clothed with the sun, and the moon is under her feet. She's standing on the moon, and she's got a, a, a crown of 12 stars. This, in Catholic theology, is Mary. Well, is it Mary? <sighs> yes and no, but mostly no. It is if you use her as a symbol for the nation Israel. She, is the, she gave birth to, the, to Jesus Christ. We're going to see the, that the man child in verse 5 is Jesus Christ. There's, there's no question about that. Did she give birth to Jesus Christ? Yes. Then I say, well, when did she flee into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God, 1,203 score days? Well, some say, well, that's her flight with Joseph into Egypt. Okay. You know, the serpent cast out his mouth uh, Verse 15, the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman. He might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Flood is symbolic of one of two things. Uh, an army, or it's not a symbol at all. It's actually a flood. And did that happen to Mary? Did Satan send an army after her? To, not so as we know. And I know I've talked to Catholics about it. doesn't mean it didn't happen just because it doesn't say it in Scripture. We always have that. You know, it's like, if it doesn't say it didn't happen, then it might have. But I don't live in might have land. Okay, let's say that she was in Egypt for three and a half years. I'll give it to you. I'm not even going to argue, but in the sense that Mary is symbolic of the nation Israel. But Satan, Satan, let me restart. The Bible doesn't use that language. You remember... Did Satan try to kill Jesus Christ when Mary was, gave birth? Yes, in the person of Herod, setting forth to kill all the babies two years old and under. We remember the story from the Gospel of Matthew. Shocking, beyond the pale. This crazy king, Satan, satanically inspired, kills all these babies trying to get rid of Jesus Christ, who he considered uh, somebody who's going to come and take his throne away from him. By the way, he's right, just not at that time. So Satan tried to move against Jesus Christ. Was he successful? Obviously, he wasn't. So, but do you remember what it says in Matthew? It says, Rachel weeping for her children, and she would not be comforted because they are not. Rachel is typologically female Israel. And by the way, Israel, all through scriptures, the wife of Jehovah, a, a, a woman in travail, a woman in, just in a general sense, uh, likened to a prostitute, always in the female and always and very, very often, not always, I shouldn't say always, because uh, out of Egypt have I called my son and there's other verses that, but very often we see that motif where Israel is a, is a, is a wife. But I think it's talking about the nation Israel. I think it's talking about, and so I would say, uh, and by the way, where is in Scripture do we see uh, the sun, moon, and stars in figurative language? Oh, Genesis chapter 37, you say? Okay, why don't we turn back there? I don't know, maybe you had a gloss. No, we know, we know where we're going. I mean, most of us know where we're going. How about verse 5, starting verse 5, Genesis 37. Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brother, and they hated him yet the more. And by the way, the fact he has a dream, you can't really control that. The fact he told his brothers, I think, is a little bit unwise here. 
And he said, And here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood around uh, about, made obeisance to my sheaf. <laughs> wow. Uh, hey, listen, little snot nose. I'm, I'm with his brothers on this. I, I, I wouldn't like it. I said, so I'm a, the oldest of four brothers, and one of my brothers tells me I'm not so happy about this, the interpretate, uh, this dream. His brother said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Does this dream come true? Well, yeah, it does. Yeah. It actually does. Adam, where is the sun, moon, and stars? Well, let's keep going. He dreamed yet another dream, told his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And they're thinking, like, we can't wait to hear this. Please do tell, Joe. Uh, and behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars made obeisance to me. So 11 stars would be his brothers. He's the 12th, going back to Revelation chapter 12, right? Uh, and he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him. So his father... No less than Jacob interprets the symbology here. And by the way, this is the only place in Scripture I know where these uh, three, sun, moon, stars, appear, uh, you know, as a sign. His father said, What is this dream thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee on the earth? Who's his father? Jacob. Who's his mother? Rachel. Rachel weeping for her children. That Rachel. And he gets it. Jacob gets it. So uh, me and your mom, who's dead by this point of this dream, uh, me and your mom and 12 stars are going to come and bow down to you? Are you, are you for real, dude? Uh, this is his son, his favorite son. Remember, his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. You remember when Mary kept all these things and pondered them? It's kind of almost the same thing. He, you know, he observed the saying. He kept thinking about it. I, mem- I think when, you know, they, at the end of this chapter, when they find his coat, <laughs> they didn't find it at all. They presented it to his dad saying, yeah, look what we found. It's all blood covered and stuff like this because they had killed a, a kid and smeared the blood on his coat. I wonder if, you know, he's pondering at this time saying that, doesn't seem likely anymore that that dream's going to come to fruition. And of course it does. Uh, and we can look at that another time. So I think Jacob has it right. The person is the nation Israel. Did the nation Israel give birth to the Savior? Well, of course. He, he's of the, of the stock of Abraham, specifically the tribe of Judah. Uh, yes, Yes, the nation Israel gave birth to the Savior. And I think because of the symbology there, it's the nation Israel. There appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman, Israel, clothed the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Now, if you're on a Wednesday night crowd, you know some stuff. Uh, you know more stuff than the, the Sunday night crowd. And I don't want to make it us and them, kind of like you guys. and But you, if you can tune in, because we're really talking about some stuff that I really think it's helpful. Because we were showing that every time it says in Scripture, in that day, that it was always eschatological. And we talked about when you're looking at a woman in travail, symbolically, it's always eschatological. It always alludes to revelation. It alludes to end times events. And we've seen that. Here, this is why she's, it's, it's end times. She's giving birth to the Savior is the picture, right? And she was pained to be delivered. How many women can testify to that? It's part of the fall, right? You know, it's, it's did Adam and Eve ever have children before the fall? 
No, I think it would have been a painless little, oh, look, a baby, you know, kind of, you know, you, hey, I feel kind of funny. Hey, here's a kid. You know, it's kind of, a, but we never saw that. And I was there when my son was born, and I can testify, uh, not firsthand, secondhand, uh, that it's a, a painful process. It's, uh, uh, so she was in pain. She was pain to be delivered. There would be another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, great red dragon. Satan is not a dragon. It's a sign. You know, um, he's, he's, uh, he's red here, and he's a dragon. It's symbolic. If you saw a red dragon with seven heads and seven crowns upon those heads, and I saw some things on YouTube this week, and it showed it, and it's kind of scary and intimidating, but it's, it's only a symbol, okay? Uh, Satan isn't red. He's doesn't have a, 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 a tail or carry a pitchfork as long as, as a trident, as much as we know, okay? Uh, so, you know, the majority of uh, people in America, who even people who believe in God and believe in heaven and hell, don't believe in a literal devil. Because Jesus, when he referred to him, didn't know what he was talking about. And I talked to people about that. Well, Jesus thought there was a devil. Well, you know, that was a long time ago. And we're, we've evolved. We have a lot more sophisticated. Uh... Have you lost your mind? People think they know more about the Bible than Jesus, the author of the Bible. Incredible. But there are those who call themselves Christians who don't believe in a literal devil. He's symbolically represented here but the symbols are symbolic of something. You can't just, you know, just because he's not. In, if you saw Satan, Lucifer, right now, son of the morning, right? Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, anointed cherub. I bet you'd feel almost an overwhelming compunction to worship him. This was my thought. That's the problem with Satan. He, he, he appears as an angel of life. Here, not so much. You say, how do you know this is Satan? Because um, it says so. It says uh, very specifically later on in the chapter. Okay? Uh, verse 9. That great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Is there any questions? We know who this is. There's no debate, and there really is no debate. You get on YouTube, and where all the zanies come out, and they say some crazy things. Even in zany land, this is pretty straightforward. This is Satan. He has seven heads, he has ten horns. Well, that's kind of weird. Not if you're familiar with chapter 9 of Daniel. And when we visited chapter 9 of Daniel, I said, and I said, and I said, you've got to master this. This is key to so many other scriptures. And so if you're reading this and you've got Daniel chapter 9 in your back pocket, you'll say, oh, seven heads of ten horns. I got it. Seven crowns of said, I got it. And then you keep going. But if not, we're going to go there and we have to turn. And we ain't going to do that because we haven't got time to do that right here this morning. But this is evidently, it's, it's right in, and by the way, the reason we're not going to do it this morning, because we're going to do it in chapter 13, okay? And I just didn't want to, and if you're curious, again, Master Daniel chapter 9, or wait for Revelation chapter 13, we'll discuss it then. 
His tail. Does he have a tail? You just say he didn't have a tail. His tail, symbolically, he's a dragon symbolically, and his tail symbolically drew a third part of the stars of heaven. Symbolically, well, let's visit here. He, when Satan fell, a third of heaven went with him. A third of the heavenly realm. I like the odds. Only a third, so it's two-thirds. We got, but it's not a numbers game. Let's say all the, all the angels fell with him. We still got God on our team, okay? So it's not like, and I think people think of like, okay, we got over here, we got Jesus Christ, and over here we got Satan, these two warriors, these two imposing figures, and I think, no, no. There's no, Satan is not Jesus' opposite. Michael the archangel is, and we'll see Michael battling with uh, later on in this chapter, with Satan. Jesus doesn't battle with Satan. When Jesus comes back, he declares his death. He doesn't, it's not like this big, you know, battle. Like, you know, you see these, some of these incredible movies. They can do things now with special effects and computer-generated stuff that we never saw. And I, you see these battles with buildings and, and collisions and, you know, atomic and all this just incredible stuff. Jesus comes back and it's going to be this big, just like, he's going to say, you're dead, his head explodes, and that's it. He's the creator. It's not, I told you, I, I, Satan's insane. I mean insane. If you think you're going to defy God and win, may I just humbly say, you're insane too. Just, just saying. His tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. When Satan's cast out of heaven, where does he go? To the earth. Is this history or is this yet to come? Both. This is, I think, a picture of the fall of Satan. Does Satan have access to heaven? Sure. Of course he does. How do you know? Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2. And we can go there, but you know the story. It's a heavenly scene, and it says that the sons of God came before, uh, presented themselves to the Lord in heaven, ostensibly, I mean, you know, and Satan was with them. And God said to Satan, hey, where you been? He goes, eh, I think he's answering a little with a little sass, but I think he's saying true. I've been, you know, up and down the earth, you know, gone to and fro. Have you cons- considered my servant Job? In the same chapter, same t- next chapter. So wh- what does Satan do? He accuses us day and night. Before That's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. We see that in several places in Scripture. But we know this. This isn't new to us, right? So we know that's what he does. Where does he do it? Heaven. I'm guessing. Does he have access to heaven? Yeah. Here, he won't anymore. And it's a cause for great woe, a great concern to the earth. But why the earth? This is where all the action is. Why doesn't he go to Beta Reticuli and talk to, uh, what have we got? The Nords, we got the Greys, we got the Reptilians, we got the insect, uh, insect ones. He goes and he goes to, you know, when uh, beings from another planet first came to Earth, they were in a dirigible and they lived on the dark side of the moon. And later on, they were Martians. And as our As we got more and more advanced technologically, so did the Martians, so did the aliens, I should say. Why doesn't he go and he take care of aliens and stuff like that? Why does he he come to the earth? 
Because I think that's all that there is. Adam, I thought you believed in Martians. Not like <laughs> the pro the, the aliens. Let's use a aliens. Martians is kind of passe. Not like, no, I don't. I think you should believe in them more. Because I think a lot of people here think, no, there's nothing to it. I think there is something to it. I think it's satanic. And I think it's to take us away from God. Well, there's a lot of, you know, there's a big out there. There's big, and, you know, we've been around for like 14 and a half billion years. How come other beings and other civilizations couldn't have evolved? I don't think we evolved. I think we're, uh, the universe is about 6,000 years old. That's a story for another time. If I go there, I won't go anywhere else. But I don't think there are beings from another planet, as we would think. I think it's just satanic deception so that we think in terms of like... And the other question is like, did, did this... Alien culture, did they have their Adam and Eve prototype? Did they sin? Was there a fall? Does God love them? Did he send Jesus to beta reticuli to save this alien culture? Boy, it gets really murky, doesn't it? The answer is God created the heavens and the earth. He created all there is, all them. Yeah, it's a big place out there, right? And then his pride and joy, the earth, where he was going to put human beings who would sin, who he would send a savior, his son to be our savior and to die for us. Okay? Uh, and I think this teaches that. He goes to earth. Why? Because that's, that's where Israel is. That's where the action is. That's where he doesn't, that's why, and he's all, I think that's all there is, is heaven and earth, as far as like beings. Okay? And he's kicked out of earth, so where else is he going? Okay. His tail drew a third part of the uh, stars to heaven and did cast him to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her son as soon as it was born. Did that happen historically? Yes. Is it going to happen again in the future? Yes. The birth here is symbolic of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You, you with me? How do you know that? She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations. So the man-child, who else is going to rule all nations? Some people say the man-child is the church. And it was Pember who said, her child was caught up into God into his throne. That's a picture of the rapture of the church. I see your confusion, but I think it's confusion. But people often confuse the church and Jesus Christ. I mean, because they're, they're pretty linked. He's the light of the world. What light's in the world? He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. He's, he's uh, going to rule with a rod of iron, all the nations. He says to the church, I think it's in Thyatira, that you're going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Who's ruling? You and I and Jesus Christ. So I, 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 I see that. And some people say... That, okay, she brought forth a man, child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. So that's the church. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. That's a picture of the rapture. By the way, I get that. I understand that. But they say it's a picture of, because look, her child was caught up. That's harpazo right there. 
and that is never used of Jesus Christ. Okay? Wrong. Wrong. Just didn't look hard enough. Can I show you where harpazo is used of Jesus Christ? In the Old Testament, Hosea chapter 5, and if you were clever and you put a bookmark there, you'd already be there by now. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Hosea chapter 5. Do you, you remember we studied on a Wednesday night, verse 15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. To, uh, in their affliction, they will seek me early. You remember that verse? We talked about that. For, this is very exciting. For God, who's, who's writing in Ch uh, Hosea chapter 5, he's saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, uh, I'm going to do And now, in 15, I will go and return to my place. For God to return to his place, he must have left it. God is returning to heaven. Did he leave it? Oh, yeah. It's called the incarnation. Okay? He's going to go and return to the place. Until. There's an until in citizen. We've talked about this in the past. We mostly visit on Wednesday nights. Until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Which, by the way, explains why Satan is persecuting the woman. I mean, think about it. Look. Is Satan a defeated foe? Yes. When did he lose? He was granted the earth. Remember? He's the prince of the power of the air. He offers it to Jesus Christ, who says, yeah, all the kingdoms, I'll give them to you. And Jesus wants them. And, Sa and, and Satan's caveat is, all you got to do is bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, that ain't happening. We only worship God. We don't worship fallen beings. He wants the earth. Satan can give him the earth. Why? Because he's the God of this world, we're told in Scripture. You see it? Now, when did he lose control? One, when Jesus died. Two, more importantly, when he rose again. Satan has lost. It is over. If you knew this, I don't know, if, if I knew this, if I thought of this all, I don't think Satan would ever trip me up again, ever. I just look at the end of what's going to happen, how it's all going to play out. And I'm on the winning team. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're on the winning team. And Satan, he just lies to us all the time. Here, take a shortcut. He told Jesus the same thing. You want the world, I'll give you the world. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to take the world, but it's through the cross. And I don't take my marching orders from you. And wonderful study there. We'll, we'll get to it sometime. Uh, so that is why... I think Satan, because it's a long shot, he's got to take care of all Israel. He's got to eliminate all Israel so that they won't seek his face and in their affliction acknowledge him. Say, that's, a, that's a, not a good play. You've got to wipe out all the Jews. I mean, if there's two Jews left who say, Jesus, come back, please save us, he loses, right? It's not a good percentage move. It's all he's got. It's all he's got. He's still trying to thwart the plan of God. He, and if you study Satan and how he tries to thwart the plan of God all through Scripture, it's, it's God versus Satan in the sense of like God declares war on Satan. Satan doesn't declare war on God. And Satan tries to keep thwarting God's plan. Has he ever been successful? No. He has his little... Minor victories and skirmishes, he, he has victory in people's lives. Ultimately, God's going to do, do God's plan. 
So I said, uh, but Adam, you said the harpazo is uh, in the Old Testament, uh, spoken of Jesus Christ. Well, of course it is, verse 14. For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, as a young lion to the house of Judah. Where do we get the lion of the tribe of Judah? Here, among other places. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away and none shall rescue him. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you say, well, go away. That must be harpazo. Actually not. I will tear. I will tear away. I'll, and he's talking about himself. He's being taken away by force. The word is harpazo there. The same where we get the word in the New Testament. You know, the, the, the gathering together unto him, First Thessalonians chapter 4, again in First uh, Corinthians 15. It's the same word. It's speaking of Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I will tear and go away. And the word is hapazo. So someone saying hapazo is never spoken of about Jesus Christ. You just didn't look hard enough. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going away. None's going to rescue him, who? Judah, accepting Jesus Christ. Or he's going to make uh, alliances, for one, with the Antichrist. Will it work? No. It's a... It's a it's a covenant of, of lies. It's a covenant with death, as, as said so in Isaiah. And then Jesus keeps talking. He says, I'm going to go and return to my place. He's going back to heaven. Okay, read here, the ascension. And there's an intilness, like we spoke, till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Will that happen? Yeah. People don't understand Israel's part in the tribulation, it's a time of Jacob's trouble. They, you're missing so, so much. So many people think God's done with Israel. You don't, you don't, ah, oh, it just, it pains me. We're better than that here. We know better. So Jesus has a plan. I'm going away. I'm not coming back until you seek my, you acknowledge me. You seek my faith. In their affliction, they will seek me, he says. So what's the denouement of all this? How does, how does this play out? Well, chapter 6, verse 1, this is what Israel says, Come, and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn, read here, any Hitler, Haman, any affliction that the Jews suffered at the hands of ungodly and wicked men, he hath torn, he will heal us. He hath smitten, he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. And the third day, it's always the third day, it's always the third day. So what, what happens? And we looked at some of those verses Wednesday night. Israel will pray. You know, the house of David alone, and, the, and it talks about all that. And, and you know, and, and they're going to pray. They're going to pray to receive the Lord. Oh, that thou would rend the heaven and come down. We looked at uh, Psalm 89, Psalm 90. If you can get into that, I think it's really important. I think it's still on Facebook. After we do those, they don't just like disappear, right? They're kind of archived there for a little while. You should... Wednesday nights. So two days they pray for the return of the Messiah. What happens? On the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. That's not symbolic. That's quite literal. That's the kingdom being established. So I'm not, I'm going. I'm not going to come back till they say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They will. And so Satan's trying to wipe out Israel because that's his long shot. That's the only arrow he's got left in the quiver, so to speak. Back to uh, Revelation. She brought forth a man-child, right? And he was caught up to God. And I think that's not the rapture. I think that's Jesus Christ's ascension. Uh, And the woman fled into the wilderness. 
where she has a place prepared of God, and they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Where's that place? Well, if you know from uh, Matthew chapter 24, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, let those in Judea flee the mountains. That's a very, very, Matthew 24 is a very Jewish text. We read it. I don't think we appreciate the Jewishness of it. Let those in Judea. Is that you? (laughs) I've never been to Judea. I'd like to. And when the abomination that causes desolation happens, will I be in Judea? No, I'm going to be in heaven. The 24 elders, symbolic, all there. You know, chapter 4, chapter 5. So are you. But let those who are in Judea. Who are in Judea? Um, Jews. Let them flee the mountains. Where's that? East? Petra? Modern-day Jordan? By the way, it, it talks about Edom and... Moab and Edom, Moab, and one more I can't come up with. I can come up with two. What? Yeah, it's in Basra. But it talks about three tribal people who escaped the hand of the Antichrist. And we'll visit that another time. And they're all in what we call modern-day Jordan. God's prepared a place. Uh, and the name of that place is called Basra in the Hebrew. We know it better as Petra. And by the way, if you saw Indiana Jones... And the last crusade where they go try to find the Holy Grail? Kind of silly. Whatever. It's Hollywood, right? Uh, uh, that, that one, you see, you see Petra where they're on horseback and they're riding through. The, and you, you see that whole, and, and so that's how Western world was introduced to Petra. We had to have Steven Spielberg show, show us what it was. Anyway, a thousand 203 score days. Now, there's a Wednesday night, we're going to look at this in greater detail. And it's, I don't know if I want to say it now. It's a, it's a, it's, it has chiastic structure. Chiastic structure. Easy, Adam. We're not all theologians. Well, neither am I. Uh, it's, it's based on the Greek letter chi, which looks like an X. And it's not linear. It's, it's just not. It's kind of like makes a point, makes a deeper point, and then it has a central point, and then it backs out the same way, and it's linear that the first, second, and third, the third is the point of the whole passage. The second and fourth line up as do the first and the fifth. It's called a chiasm or chiastic structure, and this whole thing is one of the... And I'm going to kind of delve in that a little bit, and maybe I'll even, if I'm very ambitious, maybe I can put together a PowerPoint to kind of illustrate it. Because once you understand this, a lot of scriptures are this. Now, I'm just going to say this one more thing. Scripture doesn't, we want it to do this. Prophecy, fulfillment. Prophecy, fulfillment. Prophecy, fulfillment. Well, it does that, but it doesn't do it in the order that we'd like it. To the Jewish mind, and the Near East, the Middle East, their thinking is prophecy is pattern. So that's why we see in like Mary and Joseph going to Egypt and the, and the serpent. Tri- that's why you can make those correlations. Do you remember when Matthew says, um, out of Egypt, because Jesus comes back and he says, out of Egypt have I called my son. Now that's from Hosea chapter 13, verse 1. If you're reading Hosea 13, verse 1, you're just a Western thinker. You say, oh, out of Egypt have I called my son. It goes on to mention Ephraim there. You think, e- out of e- 
Egypt, yeah, okay, the Exodus. That's what the whole book is about. God calling his son, nation Israel, out of Egypt. Yay. And Matthew does something curious. He says, thus fulfilling the prophecy out of Egypt have I called my son. And we think, oh, well, okay, Israel came out of Egypt. Jesus came out of Egypt. Israel is kind of typologically a picture of Jesus Christ. And that's all through Scripture. It's, it's pattern. It's not just, you know, can I, and sometimes like there's thousands of years between, even in the same verse, between prophecy. I got to show you this because I, because like I say, this is very, very, very helpful, I think. In Luke chapter four, again, if you had your little uh, place, you'd be there by now. Luke chapter four. So Jesus goes to his hometown and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. We had opened, I'm in verse 17, Luke 4, verse 17. When he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So he looks for it, and he finds this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them uh, that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Period. Not really. Not really. As we'll look to in a, in a moment, and I'll end here, okay? So stick with me. This, I think, this is vital. Not really it's a period, it's a comma, as we would call it. He stops right in the middle of a verse. Why? Because Jesus, the author of the word of God, is rightly dividing the word of truth, right? Now let's look at what Isaiah really says. Isaiah chapter 61. We'll end here, okay? Thanks for staying with me. Isaiah chapter 61 says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Well, you say, that's the same. Yes, it is. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to them that are bound. Now look, he says, these things are fulfilled today in your hearing. And he gives the scroll back to the, the minister, the one who's taking care of the scrolls, right? Let's keep reading. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, yeah, he said that, and the day of vengeance of our God. Wait a second. Jesus misquoted scripture. He left that part out. What is up with that? Well, Jesus doesn't misquote scripture. Is there a part of scripture Jesus doesn't know or wasn't aware of? No, he skillfully said, uh, you know what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It was the Spirit of the Lord upon Jesus here yeah, on his baptism. We know that, right? Two, preach. Uh, he's anointed, me to, anointed Messiah, Mashiach, Christos, anointing, right? He's, he's anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. By the way, this is all of us. Aren't you glad? And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Has God anointed Jesus to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God? Yes, but not for another, well, it's been 2,000 years so far. He skillfully stopped at that comma. You've heard this today. This is fulfilled in your ears. But he didn't quote it all because it all didn't pertain to that day in Nazareth 2,000 years ago. Is that incredible? And we look at that and we say, you know, and we just sloppily go right through that and say, well, you see, this, this is 2,000 years ago. No, it's not. He hasn't. That's what Revelation is all about. 
the day of vengeance of our God. What's the end of all that? To comfort all that mourn, specifically Israel, and we'll talk about that another time. Because to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, that's why I say it's Israel, because chapter 3 tells us it is. But understand, it's not just like, it's a lot of types, there's a lot of symbols, there's a lot of things happening, there's a lot of, it's not easy, but it's not complicated. He gave us scripture, he wants us to understand scripture, but we can't bring our own presuppositions to it and say it's got to happen this way and it's got to play out this way. You understand what I'm saying? So we're looking at a place like chapter 12 and, okay, this is this and this is this and this is this. Well, I think like when people point to Mary, they're pointing to a type of the greater type. And you still kind of missed it a little bit. But yeah, I see what you're saying and there's something to that. But you're still missing the forest for the trees because you don't see that Israel is the woman that gives birth to the man, that the dragon persecutes, and she goes off into the wilderness, specifically Petri. See, so it's, when, you, when you understand all the players and you get the program, the scorecard in your hand, you understand everybody's, where you plug in, how it all works, you've got to know a lot of Scripture to know, like chapter 12. But once we know the Scripture, it's like, oh, and it's very plain. So I think chapter 12 is hard, and it's, we haven't gone over some, there's still some parts to it, but our understanding of Scripture, and by the way, isn't it very exciting? We start connecting dots. I don't know if there's anything like that. Because uh, I'll be reading, I think, oh, you know what this reminds me of? And I'll scurry over here, and now it's a lot easier because we've got a phone. All you get is one word, and you got it. And you connect and say, wow, this connects to this. And then you start praying it through and looking at other verses, and you can make some connections, and, and the Spirit of God will do that. The, the book is given for us to understand. It's a revealing of Jesus Christ. It's not a covering up. I think he wants us to know it. Now, can we know it all? You're not going to know all the Word of God. It's God's Word. And it's, it's, some of it is as deep as God is. And even when we have a working knowledge of it, don't think we've exhausted it. It doesn't work that way. But again, there's some real blessings. And he promises blessing, the reading blessing, and the hearing blessing, and now the keeping blessing. That's, How's that going to work out? Well, I'll let you and the Spirit of God work that out. We'll stand, we'll pray, and we'll be, and we'll be dismissed here this morning. Okay, that was just the warm-up for chapter 12. we got some more stuff to do. and Like I say, maybe next week, I'm, I'm thinking. I know next week is Memorial Sunday. We're just going to keep plowing ahead, okay? That's, that's how we roll. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We know that you've given it to us to understand and to know more about Jesus. And Father, we want, at the end of the day, we want to know about Jesus. We love Jesus. We want to be just like Jesus, Father. We just we pray that you'd help us to understand, to know, to, to love, to live in Scripture, to just... And we thank you for this wonderful book, Lord, and what it means to us. We praise you for just being an awesome God that you are. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.